This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. Today on the Indo Daily. It's Wednesday, the 17th of January 1962, and our top story this evening the discovery of an abandoned newborn baby boy found wrapped in a shopping bag on the outskirts of Belfast. The news this Monday lunchtime, May 3rd, 1965, the shocking discovery of a crying baby boy. Sunday, March the 10th, 1968, our main news headlines today. A newborn baby girl was found abandoned in Dundalk by a lorry driver as he stopped to make a telephone call. Three babies found abandoned in different Irish towns years apart, and nobody twigged that there might be a connection. Now, having found each other, they believe there might be a fourth. I got a call from the UK to say that we have discovered you have a full sibling. And I think I sat there frozen. I just kept sitting there thinking, what? Am I hearing this right? You go through your life thinking you're the only one and you paint a picture of your background. And then suddenly when that illusion is shattered, then you have to deal with so many different things. And it is difficult. I'm Kevin Doyle, and today on the Indo Daily, I'm joined by Irish Independent Special Correspondent Catherine Fegan and by long-lost siblings Helen Ward and David McBride, who need help to find what they believe to be the final piece of their extraordinary family jigsaw. Catherine Fegan, you've been covering this story for quite a while now. Can you take us back to where it all began? So this story really begins in January 1962 in the driveway of a house in Dunmurray, just outside Belfast. A lady named Clara Pullen, who was the wife of a local GP in the area, had gone to get into her car this particular morning. It was a cold January morning and as she opened the car, she discovers a baby boy in the passenger seat of the car. The baby was wrapped in a blanket and, you know, no, nothing else, just a baby blanket in the car in a hold all. It was a tartan hold all. No note, no, no note, explanation. No, no, completely random and Obviously, she didn't know where this baby had come from. Real surprise. Contacted initially the police, contacted 
the local hospital. It was a big story in the newspapers at the time. Appeals were put out to try and find out who who this baby belonged to. But nothing came up. And eventually the baby was adopted and grew up in Lisburn. And his name was David McBride. We go six years later across the border in Dundalk. A lorry driver named Donald Boyle from Cork is making his way from Cork to Belfast. And he stops in Dundalk. The telephone box opens the door and inside the telephone box discovers a baby girl. This time the baby girl is again wrapped in a a blanket in a hold-all, tartan hold-all like the previous baby and has a warm bottle of milk. So a similar kind of pattern follows. There's a big appeal to try and find out who this baby belongs to and there's nothing, nothing turns up. And the baby again is adopted, is known as Helen McBride, grows up in Dublin. So Helen and David, who we're going to speak to in a couple of minutes, but then there was a third... So these babies who are abandoned in various ways are known as findlings. So we go to 1965 and this time we're in Drogheda and a local journalist actually named Paul Murphy and his friend, they're at a rehearsal for a play in Drogheda and they're making their way home that night near Lawrence Gate and the two of them are walking along chatting and they hear a baby crying. They walk past telephone box and discover a baby boy in a blanket, in a hold all in the telephone box. Another discovery of a baby abandoned. Nobody knows where this baby has come from. Baby is adopted. John Darling is the baby's name, goes on to have very good life, happy life, happy childhood. And that brings us to how are these three babies connected? And at that time, Nobody made the connection between the three discoveries. It seems like the authorities were happy once the children were taken care of and were less concerned about finding out who the parents who abandoned them might have been. While tentative steps had been made to try and find out who they who they belonged to, where they'd come from, you know, these appeals in the newspapers and the authorities making appeals, after they were adopted, there was no real effort made to find out, well, who... who who's abandoning these babies in, in phone boxes? You know, if this happened in, today in this day and age, God, you know, it, it would be headline news for days. It would be an international story, yeah. I think, nowadays yeah. with the internet. But at what point in their lives then do they move from knowing that they were adopted, but perhaps knowing the full story about how they were actually abandoned and that there might be siblings out there, full siblings. Well, in David's case, he was 15 and wanted to join the army and he got his birth certificate and discovered that his his birth date was recorded as on or about January 6th. And he sort of thought, well, what does that mean? He knew he was adopted. He went to his adoptive father and asked him and he basically came clean and told him all. So, from that point, he started his own inquiries, tried to find out, you know, who his his mother was, who his father was, did a lot of media in the North, appeared on the Jerry Kelly show, um, which was a big programme back then, lots of appeals, but he never really got anywhere, couldn't bring it forward. So then you have Helen, who again, again knew she was adopted, had a very good, happy upbringing. She was 17 when she sort of started to probe her father and he said, you know, just let sleeping dogs lie. She thinks that his way of protecting her 
from her past and maybe the sort of issues it would throw a up. A sense of abandonment, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, because yeah. it's, it's a difficult story for obvious reasons. So, but she said the curiosity was, was still within her and especially when she had her own children wanted to know, well, where am I from? How could how could somebody abandon me? How could my mother leave a baby, you know, in a phone box? I have a child of my own. I don't understand how you could do that. So she starts her own sort of investigations. So back to David, he meets a social worker named Ariel Bruce, who's quite renowned for connecting long lost siblings and relatives. And she said to David, you know, DNA is a great way of finding out who you're connected to. She encourages him to submit a sample around about the same time back in Ireland, because David is in England. This is where he lives. Back in Ireland, Helen's turning 50, her best friend says to her, you know, for as a birthday present, I'm going to get you to submit a DNA profile to one of these sites. Ariel Bruce uploads David's DNA and at the same time, Helen's uploaded hers to this particular site and there's a match. Ariel gets a match for David, but it's not a parent because remember, he's looking for his parents, mother or father. It's a sibling. It's not a half sibling. It's a full sibling. Wow. Yeah. And Ariel is connected with ITV's programme, Long Lost Families, a really well-known programme in the UK, which features children trying to find out who their relatives are. And so this story is obviously a big one for them. And they make a programme reuniting David and Helen. But that's not the end. We covered it here in the newspaper. And a couple of days after it went into the Irish Independent, I got an email from someone in Drogheda with a link to a first person story written by Paul Murphy about the night he discovered a baby in a phone box in Drogheda. So this was John, John Darling. So the insinuation was, is this baby connected to the story you've done? And I got in touch with Paul Murphy, the, the journalist. He was already in contact with ITV actually for a follow-up programme. There's a further twist here. Long Lost Families went out and it was broadcast in Australia. And John Darling's daughter, Donna, lived in Australia and she, she happened to see the programme. Now, at that point, all she knew of her father's past was that he had been discovered in a phone box in Drogheda's by Paul Murphy. She was watching it and she's watching David in particular and she says that she just instantly thought, he was related to her daddy. The way he walked was very familiar to her. His hands looked very familiar. And she just has this gut feeling that, that her da- daddy is connected to these two. So she says it to her father. He's quite reluctant. But she coaxes him to, to give a DNA sample to the ITV um, producers. And they put it in the system and come back with another match. He's a full sibling of David and Helen's. So we have three siblings, all related, three findlings who never knew each other, all connected now through DNA. All abandoned in the 1960s and discovering Mm. themselves now in recent years. There might be a fourth. Yes. Uh, It's really hard to believe. But talking to them, when you talk to them, in particular Helen and David, who've done a lot of research into their mother, who who they found out is from, uh, was from Kerry. She had embarked on a an affair with their father. He was a Protestant. He was a married man. He had 14 children of his own. Their mother's a Catholic. They had an affair. For obvious reasons, there was difficulties with this. But there was an affair that carried on for 40 years. So they started to do their, their detective work on their mother and their father. And they had always said that they felt 
that there could be more, which, you know, I think anybody would find incredible to believe. They had done research and said that the only other baby that was found in circumstances similar to them was a baby in Galway. They ruled that person out, got in contact with that lady, and that is not a connection. And then there was this baby found in a phone box in Newry in the 1960s. Uh, Very similar circumstances in a bag, swaddled, well looked after, well cared for. The story appears in the newspapers, nothing ever comes of it. So they've tried to find out where this baby went to, who this person is and connect with this person because they really strongly, strongly believe that there are too many coincidences with this particular case like their own. And I'm joined now by David, who was found in the car in 1962, and Helen, who was found in the telephone box in 1968. Helen, I might start with you. What has it been like to discover that there was this whole part of your life story that you didn't really know about growing up? I think it's been very surreal. It's been very exciting. It's been it's been a whirlwind, to be perfectly honest. And it's it's just going from strength to strength, I think. It's been great to discover you have two brothers when you've kind of been grown up yourself. And then to know that you have a family out there, it's been amazing. David, it can't have all been as positive as Helen says. It must there must have been moments along this where you're going am I right to keep digging? You, you started digging originally, didn't you? And, and, and you could never have imagined what you would have discovered. I basically started searching simply because I was contacted back in 2002 about my story. And up until that period, I hadn't really done a lot. And suddenly it was put in the limelight. And from that point onwards, there was a sort of search started. And In the end, I eventually thought to myself, well, nothing's going to come of this until my older sister contacted me and said she'd watched a TV program about DNA. And I know that you know the actual researcher um, and you're friends with her. So why don't you contact her? And if you don't contact her, I will. So that's basically where the search that ended up finding Helen and John commenced. Has it been strange to try and catch up? I know you guys now are are quite close and it's worked out really well, but has it been strange to kind of catch up on the lives that you all had as individuals, not as siblings, if you know what I mean? The one thing that I think is a huge positive about it is how close we actually are. And I think we, we all ask each other about things from our past and about what we were like, et cetera, et cetera. But what is quite funny about the things is that when you talk about something and then Helen or John will say, well, I was like that. And then you realise how similar you actually are. So it's not just the DNA, Helen, it's actually the personalities. Absolutely. Even just looking at family photographs, you know, the similarities between our children, the similarities of little quirky things we do, it has huge impact on finding what we have found out today. You know, your family, it's just incredible. You've spent a lifetime looking at different people as you walked through the supermarket, wondering, could they be my sibling or could they that be my birth mother? And now we have in front of us our, all our family and it's just amazing to look at the similarities between them all. Can you remember the moment that you got 
the DNA result from. I'm not sure how that even comes to you, that you suddenly went, wow, I have a sibling. I think I was bowled over by the excitement of it all when I heard. I was sitting in a car. I got a call from the UK to say that we have discovered you have a full sibling. And I think I sat there frozen. And then I got so excited. I didn't know what to do. I I just kept sitting there thinking, what? Am I hearing this right? It was so surreal. It was it was just a moment of madness. I even remember driving home that day and I took the wrong road until I got home. But it was an incredible, incredible feeling. And then I think you come down to earth and then you think of what if we don't get on. But when I met David, all of that barrier just disappeared. You mentioned, the, I suppose, the what-ifs you felt at that moment looking forward. You must have an awful lot of what-ifs looking back and your birth parents who meeting them is not an option. Yes, I think that is very sad. Um, I, I still sometimes sit looking at some of the long-lost family shows and I see the people meeting their parents for the first time and that saddens me that we don't have that opportunity to sit and talk to our birth mother to find out why they did what they did. I think that's the saddest part of it. But I suppose we know and we can't ponder on that too much. I think we just have to go for the future. And we're all so lucky that for three siblings who never knew existed have come together as one with such unity. To me, that is incredible. David, have you ever had any harsh feelings maybe about the fact that you were abandoned as a child like that? No, not really. Um, I was pretty aware of what Ireland was like in the 60s, you know, at the end of the day. My adoptive parents were fantastic. They would, you know, there was a sort of a defense of my mother explaining how things would have been, how things could have been at the time. And then as the story materialized, you realize the difficulties. There's no point in being angry about it. At the end of the day, it's happened. Uh, I can't control that part of my life. I can control what happens going forward is my relationship with my sister and my brother, which is extremely close. And we've got to look at the culture of Ireland at the time. Given the circumstances of a Catholic and Protestant meeting, falling in love, having children, one married, one unmarried, all the taboos in Irish society had been met. So where could they have actually gone to? So even to this day, from all the research and, and everything that you've done since, you don't necessarily know who left you in a car or who left Helen at the phone box. There are bits of the stories that you'll probably never be able to colour in. Yeah, that's correct. I don't know why I was left in the north of Ireland, why my sister and brother were left in the south of Ireland. I look at the road from Dublin to Belfast at the time and I conclude that that the sites that we were found along and the areas we were found in were very close to the A1, which was the road between Belfast and Dublin. I don't understand why our parents come so to the north to leave me, but I do know that the home I was left at, the doctor was a gynecologist who was the head of the teaching in the medical school in Belfast. And I often wondered if he had something to do with my birth. And also I understand that Our father had relatives not so far from where I was found in the north of Ireland. And also, I look at the timelines for all of us being found and taking into consideration the possibility that we have another sibling and that other sibling was found in the north. 
then the finding of Helen and John, 65 and 68, were around the time when the border was starting to become more sealed up and it would have been more difficult to get in and out of Northern Ireland because of the situation. Well, David has mentioned it, Helen, there, this idea, and it's more than an idea, to be fair, that maybe there's another. That's right. Um, Again, as David has mentioned, the common thread of where we were left, John in Drogheda, myself in Dundalk. Now we have discovered that there is a baby in Newry and David then was left in Belfast. So the common thread is there and it seems very important for us to actually find out, is this baby part of our family? Well, tell us what you know about this child and the situation and the circumstances in which they were abandoned. The circumstances how they were abandoned was similar to myself and John um, as regards the phone box, uh, but similar to all three of us as regards they were found in a bag, they were found well-dressed, they were found, I think that four of us would have had a bottle, um, and I was about three days old. John was over a week. This baby in Yuri was over a week or two weeks. And David, similar, over two to three weeks old. So there's a common thread there with all our cases. And I think that is what caught our attention. And I certainly know it caught my attention when I saw it on a social media site. And David, the Yuri baby, what convinces you that there might be a link? Well, Firstly, I think the circumstances convinced me there might be a link because there's such a similarities. The MO is there that is similar to all, to myself, John and Helen, all our findings. Let me take you back a little bit. When we were on our way back from our mother's grave in, in Kerry, Helen mentioned to me in the, in the car that there was another baby found uh, in similar circumstances to ourselves. And she thought that there may be a connection. I actually thought she'd gone loopy at that point in time. <laughs> Thank you, but, David. <laughs> but um, it turns out that Helen was correct. Now, what I did when Helen sent me this story was I sent the story to my two adopted sisters to look at. And both of my sisters said, when did this new story about you come out? And I said, it's not me. And they both said, well, we just compared the picture of the baby in Newry to you. And we're convinced it was you. There has to be some form of connection. So that sort of opened my mind up to the fact that actually the baby and Yuri may well be connected to us. And you've both become kind of semi-detectives over the last few years as part of this process, Helen. What have you done to try and establish whether or not there is a link? Well, we have tried to connect with the family who found the Yuri baby but the gentleman himself has passed on. So we got in touch with his son and he gave some information. And again, listening to his conversation and the common threads that were between all our stories, I suppose that's one part of it. David, I think you got in touch with Ariel as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I got in touch with the researcher for the long lost families and she said that they were aware of this baby and they had done a limited search which had placed the baby as living somewhere around Hollywood in Northern Ireland. And obviously they'd also had the information that the baby had gone into the law. 
Now, the strange thing about that was that there is a Facebook group called the old Nuri Pictures and Videos. And on that group, was posted. we posted something on that group to see if we could get any information. And as a result of that, an individual came on to that group and said that they knew the Nuri baby. And the Nuri baby had gone on to have a reasonable life. And they again indicated that the Nuri baby had gone into the law. That has led us to believe that uh, that the Nuri baby is still alive and is living somewhere potentially in the north of Ireland. And we don't know whether or not that the individual will be aware of our plea or whether or not they actually seen the initial programme. So you have some breadcrumbs there, Helen, but I suppose it has worked out very well for yourself, David and John. You don't know this person's circumstances or what kind of a life they have or whether they'd want to bring this into their lives. I suppose that must be something you have in the back of your head as well, that they, if it does turn out to be another sibling, they, they might not want the same things that the, the trio, as you guys seem to be, have, have enjoyed the last couple of years. I suppose as a foundling, you're kind of dipping in and out of these situations. We did spend a lot of time thinking about the situation before we jumped in head first, so to speak. And I think that's very important. I think they have to know that in coming forward to us, that, you know, whatever privacy they want around all of this, well, we have to respect all of that. Maybe it's a family member who knows this gentleman wants to come forward and talk to us and say, listen, we want to keep it private and confidential. And that's very, very important. And I suppose sometimes they have to look at the story as well and have an understanding of it all, that we were three individuals all thinking that we were the only ones. And now we are three full siblings. And I think you have to look at the whole picture. I would say to this gentleman, you know, or any of the family members or friends, you have to think about, you You will have to sit and think about the whole impact of this, the emotional end of it. But we have put out our plea and we hope that maybe they will come forward to us. And David, if that person is listening to this podcast, what would your message be to them? Well, my message would be, I, I know how tough the decision is. You go through your life thinking you're the only one and you paint a picture of your background. And then suddenly when that illusion is shattered, then you have to deal with so many different things and it is difficult. But one of the things that I feel that the individual, the gentleman concerned or his family members probably need to know is, is what is he actually opening himself up to? What are myself, Helen and John like? Well, we're all quite easygoing. We all get on very, very well. Um, it's as if we had actually been brought up together. We get on that well. You know, we have become very, very close. And that in these situations can sometimes not happen. Sometimes it can be a situation where people just don't get on. But we're very supportive of one another. And we will be very supportive and respectful of the individual if, for example, they want to keep everything confidential or they would just like to speak to us. What we would like is if the Newry baby does listen to this or does pick up the newspaper article, etc., for that gentleman to have a, a think and decide whether or not he would like to talk to us.
And I don't think talking would do any harm because at the end of the day, we can progress from that point if need be. If it is that the Nuri baby is not connected to us, or even if the Nuri baby is connected to us and has made the decision that they don't want to push it any further, we will respect their boundaries. We will respect their decision and not force anything. So it would be very nice if someone would come forward, the gentleman himself or any family member to us, and we can then progress the matter from there. Well, David, Helen and John in absentia, I I wish you well in your search and I hope very much that you find the answers that you're looking for. And my thanks to Catherine Fegan and to Helen Ward and David McBride. I'm Kevin Doyle and today's episode of the Indo Daily was produced by Garrett Mulhall, researched by Ian Doyle and Dave Hanratty, with sound by Gavin Hennessy. Archive clips were from the Irish Independent website. Voiceovers were by Ellen Coyne, Colin Brennan and Keen Overin. If you enjoyed the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Eurot the end of Chacht Erachor. Agasuligum a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfame. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Egornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vientalam Aginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms.